Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Friday, May 7th, 2021. This is Shannon, and today I'm here with Brooke, and we have a shorter episode than usual for you today. Natalia was supposed to be with us, but she has been under the weather for the past little while, and her speaking voice is about three octaves lower than usual, and um, I think kind of painful. So she is not here. So Brooke and I are together, and we are bringing you eight rather than your 12 usual recommendations, but we're talking about books featuring ensemble casts. So books told from multiple points of view, books where there's not really one main character. Um, The entire cast is sort of equally important to the telling of the story. So don't worry, next week we will be back with a more normal 12-book episode, but we did want to at least put something up for you this week, even if it couldn't be the full 12 books. So I'm going to go right into the housekeeping information, then I will start us off. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first book tonight is actually a series, um, as several of mine will be today. And this is the Wilderness series by Sarah Donati. It starts out with Into the Wilderness. And these are very, very long, sweeping historical novels. A lot of people compare them to Outlander. And I would say that that is an apt comparison to a point. Like they are that same kind of big saga that features a bunch of different people and the time frame is kind of similar. But the stories themselves are very different where Outlander is a time travel story, um, the wilderness books are not. So the first book is called Into the Wilderness and it is about a woman named Elizabeth. She is almost 30 and she comes from England to America in the late 1700s. And her father is a judge and he has asked her to come with him and she has this idea that she's going to become a school teacher. Now he wants her to marry this like rich fancy doctor and be you know a good like southern lady um, even though technically you know they're not southern but he sort of has this idea that like English values and southern values are kind of similar. So he wants her to be this sort of high and mighty society person. And she isn't into that. So she comes to what is now New York State. 
and she meets a man named Nathaniel Bonner. And Nathaniel is white, but he was raised um, by several people from a Native American tribe. And so he has very, very close bonds with many of Native Americans in the area, um, and his father does as well. So Elizabeth and Nathaniel fall in love and end up getting married sort of despite all these machinations that people have to keep them apart. And the series goes on from there. There are six books. I have read the first five. And where at first you feel like you're just going to be reading about Nathaniel and Elizabeth, you actually aren't. You get to see so many other characters, both like their children, but also friends of theirs, like other townspeople. Um, Donati does a really good job of bringing like every character in her book to life in such a vivid way. Um, the time period is so well drawn. The setting is fantastic. I love these so much. I have the last book here to read and I'm really sad to do it because then the series will be over. Um, so this is Into the Wilderness. It's Wilderness Book One by Sarah Donati. I love books about older in New York. I don't know why, because I'm not an American and I don't <laughs> really, I don't even, I have only been to New York a few different times, but for some reason, I love reading about historical New York. So, so this I is might New have York to check these books out. As opposed to New York City. Like there's no, right. there's no city feel here at all. Um, but it's, it's just so well done. Should be interesting to see then how it is. I'll have to check yes. it out anyway. They're huge. You'll love them. That's cool. I'm excited. Yes. So I'm going to bring us back to present day. And my first book is called The Gifted School. And it is by Bruce Halsinger. I love this and book. This book is about four families. <laughs> four families <laughs> in made up crystal Colorado but they have learned that a gift a school for the gifted will be coming to their community and so we follow along with these four families and we've got Samantha and her daughter Emma and of course as most families think or most parents think I should say um, Samantha thinks that Emma is perfect in all ways. Then we have Rose, whose daughter is also named Emma. And Emma and Emma are friends. And they are inseparable. So, of course, she's hoping that she gets into the school. And, of course, Rose is also hoping that her Emma gets into the school. Um, I forgot to mention that they have also learned that they're only going to be a limited number of spots in each of the age groups. So that was kind of important. I should have said that. Um, then we have Azra and her sons are twins. They're Aiden and Charlie. And they're like little athletes. And she is really hoping that her sons can get into the school. Finally, we've got Lauren and her, um, her son, Xander and her daughter Tess and ever since her husband passed away she's really focused her life on 
Xander to the detriment of her daughter, Tess. So a lot of things have fallen to the wayside for Tess. And so this book is kind of told from the perspective of each of the, of the mothers, as well as some of the fathers and some of the children. So we kind of get a perspective from everybody and it all like, it sounds confusing, but it all kind of, it works. It really, really works together. And like, the story is almost outrageous. Like for a lot of people, you would think this is an outrageous story, but I will tell you from personal experience that it is not, it is just so like, I felt so much for these children because like my family is very competitive with their children. And like my aunts, I remember going to family dinners and like my aunts would always be comparing how like, oh, my son did this. Oh, my daughter did this. And like, everybody was always trying to get like one up on each other. So I could totally see my family in this, and like in this book. So this is The Gift of School and it's by Bruce Halsinger. It is so, so good. And you're right. It feels kind of over the top, but if you really think about the way people behave, like it, it's not. <laughs> and it kind of reminded me of um, Kathleen. Oh, Kathleen oh, West. Kathleen West. Yeah. Yes. It kind of reminded me of that because I think I also read it shortly after or before that book. So it kind of reminded me of that outrageousness. Okay, so my first book took us to the past. My second book, second book, takes us to the future. So this is The Thousandth Floor. It is the first book in a trilogy with the same title, and it's by Catherine McGee. A lot of people, I think, recognize Catherine McGee from her American Royals books, but The Thousandth Floor was actually written first. So imagine that it is the year like 2,100 and something, right? And New York City is not really a city anymore. Instead, it's this huge tower that is literally 1,000 floors high. So it's all enclosed, but each sort of level is kind of a, a different type of, of space. So the more wealthy you are, the higher in the tower you live and then certain floors are sort of given over to like civic things like libraries and schools and all the normal things that you would see in a city but instead it's in this this tall tall tower so we follow several people here um avery her family lives on the thousandth floor and this is important because Avery is one of those girls who's like super popular, super rich, like everything she thinks sort of goes the way she wants it to. And that's kind of how it should be. Like she really likes it that way. And now though, she's starting to struggle because she has feelings for a boy, but the boy is her adopted brother. And that's a problem. Like her family is not going to be a fan of that. So Avery is trying to figure this out. We also see several other characters. Um, we meet a young woman named Rylan, 
who lives on something like the 32nd floor. So her socioeconomic status is pretty different from Avery's. They run in very different circles and yet somehow their paths sort of intersect. We also meet um, another teenage girl who is addicted to this illicit drug. There's a boy who has managed to implant a computer in his brain and this ends up very illegal. Um, And so no one can know about this. So we see all these different people who are living their lives in this huge tower of a city. But the reason that the thousandth floor is important is because when the book opens, there's a party up there and someone falls to their death from the thousandth floor. Yeah. Yes. And so you don't know who at first, like you don't know who it is and you don't know why they fell. And so at the end of the first book, you do understand who it is, but the reason for their death is still sort of unknown. So the trilogy wraps up nicely at the end of each book, but there are definitely things that sort of carry you through so that the series can you know, go on. Um, the first book is not my favorite. I actually liked the second one much better, which is The Dazzling Heights. Um, But it's just a really unique story that sort of shows you that teenagers live these complex lives, sort of no matter what their environment is, like whether they're living in kind of a science fiction world or like our world or even, you know, historically. Um, So I really, really enjoyed this. It's The Thousandth Floor, The Thousandth Floor, book one by Catherine McGee. So I'm going to bring us back to the present. I feel like we're bring- I'm bringing <laughs> back to the present all the time. Holy. It's just what you do. <laughs> I know. I'm just, a, I'm just a very today kind of person. So my next book is The Thursday Murder Club, Thursday Murder Club, book one by Richard Osman. And this book is really interesting. Like I just found it very interesting. So the first interesting thing I found about it was the characters. So our characters are Elizabeth, Joyce, I think it's Ibrahim. I totally apologize if I'm butchering that, and Ron. And what's unique about these characters are they're in their 80s or somewhere around there, and they live in a retirement home or a retirement community. And they meet every Thursday to discuss cold case files that Elizabeth somehow is able to get a hold of. And she's got a bit of a uh, kind of a secret past. And there's a lot of in like things that we don't know about her and that we're going to learn about her. And then we've got Joyce and she is a retired RN. And she has just recently moved into this retirement home. And given her background, they have kind of brought her into this Thursday murder club. Um, Then we've got Ibrahim, and he is, I'm pretty sure, a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist or a psychologist. And then we've got Ron, who was a union boss. And so that interesting thing about this retirement home is everybody in the home is kind of like 
was in the upper parts of their career. And like they were kind of like high up in their career. And so, as I said, the club, they discuss, I'm going to call them the club now because they're kind of a long title. Um, so the club, they discuss cold cases. And one day, a woman, like a detective or at least a police officer of some level, she come, her name Donna, she comes in to discuss security with the, with the club. And somehow they get her talking about cold cases. And then somehow at some point, a like a developer that's kind of developing, I think it's developing, he's developing land. If I'm not incorrect, it's like either behind the retirement home or somewhere near the retirement home. Well, he's found dead and a photo is found beside him. And so the club has decided that they're going to solve this case and that they're going to help Donna and her boss, Chris, solve the case, whether they like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) But they're only going to give them the clues that they discover through different ways that they're able to, because like nobody really suspects an older person to be investigating. Um, they're only going to share these clues on their own time and in their own way. So you can only imagine the hilarity <laughs> that that ensues. So I really enjoyed this book. I found it a bit confusing at times because there's a lot of characters to keep track of. And it kind of moves from character to character a lot faster than I guess my brain at the time could follow. But I really, really loved the way that they pulled it all together. And I also loved the book itself. And I'm really looking forward to the next one, which comes out in September. So this is the Thursday Murder Club, Thursday Murder Club, book one by Richard Osman. Awesome. I've heard good things about this. It's good. Okay, so my next book comes with sort of a caveat, and that is that this is not a book for every reader. And I don't say that to be like elitist or exclusionary, but this is a book that I I loved it so much, but just as much as I loved it was this feeling of like extreme discomfort as I read it. And so it's a book that I hesitate to recommend to people. And yet there is something so, so thought provoking about it that there are times when I just have to talk about it. So this is All the Ugly and Wonderful Things by Bryn Greenwood. And this <gasps> I want to out... read this. Oh, you haven't read it yet? No, because oh. I couldn't find it. But I just found, oh. I finally got, I finally located a copy and so I'm so excited oh I can't wait to hear you talk about it this is such a stellar book okay so this is the story of Wavy and when we meet her she's really young like maybe eight years old and her father is a meth dealer and her mother uh, her mother has a lot of mental problems And because of this, she tells Wavy 
very strange things like you shouldn't eat in front of people and you shouldn't talk in front of people because <sighs> if you open your mouth filth dirt germs will come into your body and oh. so that's no good so wavy of course you know being a little kid like she takes all this in and she figures like this is this is what you have to do but as you would imagine her home life is not great like there's all these people who are just like coming to their trailer like looking for drugs and people are just these are not like the role models that you would want for an eight-year-old girl and so one day wavy witnesses one of her father's sort of underlings i guess he wrecks his motorcycle and he is pretty badly injured in in the crash and somehow he and wavy form a bond his name is kellen and please understand he's like in his early to mid 20s at this point and wavy is is eight right now and they form this bond and in a lot of ways kellen becomes wavy's rock he is the one person that she knows that she can depend on now this gets very very tricky as wavy grows up because once she gets to be a teenager she realizes that she's in love with kellen and Kellen is also in love with her. And this is the part that really kind of creeped me out because in as much as he knows that he should not have these deep, intimate feelings for a young girl, he cannot, he cannot seem to, to not. Now he tries really hard not to, to act on these things, you know? And so he doesn't want to be a child molester. And I did not get the vibe from him that he was a child molester. Um, but he and Wavy do eventually begin to date and this becomes a huge problem. Um, the reason that this is an ensemble story is because there are so many other characters who pop in and out of the narrative to sort of share their own perspective on what goes on between Wavy and Kellen. And so you have people who are supportive of this, who say that, you know, both of these people are incredibly broken and that only together can they live like some semblance of a normal life. And then of course you have people who say like, this is awful, you know, he should be in prison. Um, and in fact, he does go to prison for a reason that I, I won't tell you. Um, and as much as people try to separate them, there is something that inextricably always brings them back together, no matter what anyone says or does about it. Um, you can view this as like a really inappropriate abuse story. And yet, as I read it, it is a story about people who don't really have a lot of choices in their lives. And people who, for whatever reason, feel that they're doing kind of the best they can with what they have. Um, it's complicated. It's messy. The characters, not just Wavy and Kellen, but also the other characters that you meet that sort of propel their story forward, they're not like beautiful, perfect people. There's so much about this that won't fit into any of the sort of usual boxes that you like to kind of compartmentalize people in. 
Um, I don't really know what else to say about this. I feel like nothing I say does this the justice that it deserves. It is so incredibly beautiful. And it is All the Ugly and Wonderful Things by Bryn Greenwood. I really liked her book, uh, The Reckless Oath We Made. Oh, The Reckless Oath is also so beautiful. Differently beautiful, but still so, so good. So my next book, I actually haven't finished yet, but I'm reading it and I'm enjoying it. And it's, it's funny. It's sad. It's, it's kind of almost all the feelings. So it's written by a Swedish author and it was translated into English. So I always find that a lot of books that are written by non-English speaking authors, they tend to be they might not always mean to be funny, but they're almost funny in the way that they're, they're taught, like that they're, the, the conversations go. So I don't know if this book was meant to be as funny as it is, but it really is. So this book is Anxious People, and it's by Frederick Backman. And this book is about a unsuccessful bank robbery. And why I say it's unsuccessful is that this person goes into the bank and they ask for $6,500. And the problem with this is that this bank does not have any money on the premises. So the bank robber takes off and runs into an apartment building where an open house is taking place. So he ends up taking hostages. So we've got eight hostages. So we've got a couple who are, they're like um, home flippers. So they like take homes and then they make them all fancy and then they like sell them. And it's kind of their way of, I guess, not admitting that their marriage is not something that they can fix. Um, then we've got a, another couple who are just starting their life together. Um, we've got some other, a couple other people. We've got a banker who really doesn't have a life. He's just kind of committed his life to making money. Um, we have an older woman who's in her, I think she's 87, and she has a, has kind of a heartbreaking story, but also an interesting story. And then we've also got a mystery person who is hiding out in the, like the only bathroom in this apartment. And this rubber has taken everybody hostage. And it's kind of like the conversations, like the back and forth that we have, like especially between the older woman, which I can't remember her name at the, t- at the moment, I think it's Estelle, but I could be, I could be wrong. Um, the conversations that they have are pretty hilarious. Like, it's almost <laughs> like they're, they're out of this world. Like, you're like, I can't believe you said that. Like, he's, he's got you at gunpoint. He's like, and whatever. But then we also meet the, these two policemen. Their names are Jack and... Jim, and they are um, father and son. So Jim is the 
I'm pretty sure Jim's the father and Jack is the son. And they work together much to Jim's sadness because he would prefer his son not be a police officer. And they are kind of, they, the, uh, like the synopsis describes them as anxious, um, anxious people named Jim and Jack. And they have a rough life. And then we've got, they're trying to solve this thing. So um, they go to the apartment and they are going to save these hostages. And then there's a gunshot. And then they go into the apartment building and they enter the apartment and they see blood. But there's um, the, the bank robber is gone. Like, we don't Ooh. know where he went. He, he's disappeared. Ooh. So a lot of this, like what I've read so far, like the first bit of this book is like the interviews that the police officers have with the different hostages. So you get to learn about their lives and you get to learn about what brought them to the point where they became hostages. So as I said, like this book was, is, well, I say is, cause I'm not quite finished. It's hilarious. It's witty. It's heartbreaking. It's sad. It's like, it's all the feelings. So this is Anxious People and it's by Frederick Backman. I really like hostage books. I'm not sure what that says about me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to have to probably pick this up at some point. So I started out with historical New York. And I'm ending with historical New York. I didn't really like plan it that way, but that's just the way, it's the order the books came in. So this is The Diviners, The Diviners book one by Luba Bray. Um, Brooke was also going to discuss this, but she very nicely said that I could have it. So here I am <laughs> to talk about Luba Bray. So this is a four book series. Um, I've read the first two books so far. I need to read three and four. But this is set in 1920s New York. And it involves sort of all the things that we know about 1920s, like prohibition and gangsters and kind of shady government dealings. But it also involves the supernatural, which is a really, really cool twist. Um, I really like supernatural novels set in the 20s. I don't know why. I don't know why I like a good bit of what I like. But anyway, so this is kind of a like a young adult mystery crossed with like historical fantasy. It's it's just so so lush and, and hard to describe. So we follow a group of, of young people who end up in New York City for a variety of reasons. Like we have Evie, who is this kind of socialite um, with pretty high social aspirations for herself. And she caused a scandal in her small Midwestern town. And so her parents got kind of fed up and they sent her to New York to live with her uncle. And I'm not sure if like my child was living in kind of this small town and causing trouble that I would send them away to like a bigger city so they could cause more (laughs) trouble. But, you know, okay, like this is how it works. So Evie comes to New York City and she's staying with her uncle 
her uncle owns this kind of dilapidated museum and it is a museum that focuses on the supernatural and the ways in which antiquities can kind of give us hints into supernatural things. We meet a couple of people who are uh, wanting to make it big kind of in the art scene. Um, we have Theta, who is like a chorus girl. We have Henry, who is a piano player and wannabe composer. Um, we also meet Memphis, who is an African-American boy who falls deeply in love with Theta. Um, and all of these people have some kind of supernatural gift. And we learn more and more about their gifts as the series goes on. But basically, they use their gifts to sort of thwart like evil supernatural forces. Like the first book, there is this super creepy kind of like ghost killer. And I'm usually not a fan of ghosts, but I thought that this was done so well that I could I could tolerate the ghosts and actually like understand, you know, how it is that this could happen in the world that Bray created. Um, the, the characters go through quite a bit of growth, at least they have in the books that I've read so far. Um, Evie is not always easy to like. She's spoiled and kind of entitled. Um, Henry is coping with his sort of sexuality and he doesn't want people to know that he's gay because that's not a great thing to be. Um, there's some talk here about race and what happens if you find yourself in like an interracial relationship. Um, there's just a lot to cover here, but it's all wrapped up in this kind of delightful, like creepy supernatural package. I really, really like Libba Bray. And I think her Diviners books are some of the best things that she's done, perhaps topped only by her Gemma Doyle series, which is um, a great and terrible beauty. But this is The Diviners, The Diviners book one by Libba Bray. And I highly, highly recommend these. So far, I've only read book one, but I quite enjoyed it. Book two, I feel like it's harder to get through. It has to do with like a sleeping sickness. Okay. And so it was harder for me to like get invested in it. But then once it like picked up, it was super good. And then I have the third one on my iPad right now and I'm excited for it. So my last book is one that I really, really liked. So this is If We Were Villains, and it's by M. L. Rio. Oh, I want to read this. So this book is about seven friends who are attending a, like, an elite college, like a theater college, and they're studying Shakespearean theater. And the book starts out with one of the friends and his name is Oliver and he is leaving. So this is like, so he is leaving prison after serving 10 years for a murder that he may or may not have committed. And to pick him up is the police officer or sorry, the, de the detective um, who arrested him because oh. 
he is about to retire and he wants to know what really happened. So these seven friends, they all play, they all play a part, both in theater and out of theater. Um, some of them, like there's the tyrant, there's the villain, um, there's the I'm trying to remember what all the different fancy words are, but I can't remember them. But we've also got like the love interest, you know, you know, all the theater, um, like all the theater, typical Shakespearean theater characters. And then we also have the extras. And so each of them has like each of the friends kind of has their part to play. And each of them has their own story. So Oliver is very much the sidekick. He's always there for whoever needs him kind of thing. Um, James is the all around nice guy. Like everyone really likes him. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other characters. Richard, he is very, he plays the really good, he plays a really good villain. He's, nobody likes him. And then his girlfriend, I think her name was a Miranda or something similar, Meredith or Miranda. And she is very much the, the one everybody wants. Um, and I think we have, I thought there was another one. I think his name's Henry. I think that's the other one I know. And he, um, he's struggling with his sexuality. Oh, like and the then, Henry and the Diviners. Yeah. I'm pretty sure his name is Henry or something similar. It was something like that. Um, and then we've also got, I think her name was Philippa or something similar. And she, she was a character that I really like. Like she doesn't really fit into a certain like spot. So she would be kind of considered like the extra, I guess. And she might actually be playing the extra in the theater. But I really liked how the book is kind of broken down into acts. And we learn how, like, how they got to the point where one of them is no longer with us. And then we also see how that, how each of the characters then have to move on and have to work hard to tell to make everyone including the, the police officer like the police believe that they are blameless and so it's just it was a really great book I loved how it like it kind of mirrored um I know I can I definitely ex um identified Caesar like uh oh. the story of Caesar um, I'm pretty sure I saw hints of Macbeth in there. Um, there might have been a bit of Hamlet. I loved how he put all those different pieces, or not he, but I meant the author, put those different pieces into the book. Like, I just, I just loved the book. Like, I love the books that are like this. I don't really know why, but I really do. So this is If We Were Villains... And it's by M.L. Rio. This has been on my TBR for such a long time. I love it. I loved it. It was like, Need to read it was it. just so good. It was just so good. 
And that is it for us tonight. Thank you to Brooke for coming up with all of these excellent recommendations for books with ensemble casts. As always, thanks goes out to Christine for her editing. And we thank each and every one of you who joins us each week as we talk about fantastic books we love. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm